It is exactly 7.24 on Metro FM Talk. I'm Tamin Gubeni sitting in for Ayabonga Gawe. Tonight in our business wrap, a very warm welcome to you, Akona Mlamleli, Portfolio Manager at 27.4 Investment Managers. Great to have you with us tonight. Thank you very much for having me, Tammy. Hope you're well this evening. I am. I'm very well. But a lot of South Africans aren't, especially looking at these latest uh, you know, rates, uh, jobless rates. I mean, it has dropped to the third highest in the world. It's down by one percentage point from last quarter, but still not good enough. Take us through the results. Yeah, so Stats SA came out with uh, unemployment numbers for the third quarter of this year, um, indicating, like you said, Tony, that the official unemployment rate declined by 1%, um, and the second quarter was sitting at 33.9%. Um, in the third quarter, it came down to 32.9%. Um, this was the news that was delivered this morning by SASA, just indicating that the quarter labor force um, has increased, um, indicating about 204 jobs were gained between the second and the third quarter of this year. Um, just in t- terms of dwelling into which of these sectors um, created some of these jobs, um, so the largest uh, gains were in the manufacturing sector, um, trade and also construction. Um, and where some of the unemployment numbers got lost in the, um, in the, in the different sectors was finance sector, which lost about 80,000 jobs. Um, private households continued to lose about 36,000 jobs. Um, but like you said, Tony, um, these numbers, yes, it was a decline of 1%, but it continues to be high. Um, and I think what's more pertinent in the numbers that came out today is that the youth unemployment continues to remain quite high. Um, we know that the country's youth continue to remain vulnerable, particularly in the labor force, um, and the very unemployment rate between the ages of 15 to 34 um, continues to be higher, and that unemployment number coming in at about 45.5% um, in the quarter third. We'll talk about the impact that this, have, that this is having on the youth in just a moment, but let's go back to the, the industries and the sectors that contributed to the unemployment uh, numbers there, manufacturing, uh, trade and construction uh, being the biggest uh, contributors to a- employment. What role did ESCOM play in this? I mean, uh, as far as Bloomberg has calculated, they calculated 173 days of blackouts uh, so far this year. What impact has this had on, on business? Yeah, so I think we all know that um, as Africa's most industrialized economy, um, we are currently in an energy crisis um, with the power utility, ESCOM, um, bringing on load shedding and obviously us consumers affecting businesses where electricity, unfortunately, um, is very scarce at the current moment. Um, so it has impacted some of the industries, um, particularly the likes of um, private households, mining, particularly with regards to agriculture. We've seen, particularly in some of the mining numbers that came out um, in the last two or three months, that load shedding continues to be a challenge. Um, in some of the property companies that are coming out, t- talking in terms of some of their malls, that load shedding continues to hamper, particularly trading hours um, at some of the malls. So it is very much a, a challenge across the economy, at this, across the different sectors, um, and it will continue, obviously, to be a challenge and until um, these blackouts um, are attended to. We'll be talking to Tessa Dooms in just a moment, and we'll get into more detail 
uh, around the socio-economic impact of these numbers a bit later on. But let's move our corner to, to African Bank. I mean, they're reporting full-year profit growth of around um, 40%. Certainly good news for them. They've been punching. They've been punching hard. Uh, they've been putting together some sort of a strategy, been an, on an acquisition drive in, in the recent past. It's looking like it's paying off. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so African Bank released their full-year numbers um, this morning, indicating a profit growth of close to about 40%. Um, so they published the results for the 12-month ending September, um, reporting a steady jump in profits. Um, this was obviously on the back of um, an expansion, particularly with regards to transactional base, and also, as you indicated, um, them diversifying the business where they are moving particularly into the business banking space. So in terms of some of the numbers that came out today, um, annual net profit increased by 38%, um, which also saw customer, customer deposits also increasing by 15%, and while cash deposits and financial investments, um, which includes the surplus liquid assets, um, also increasing sharply um, to about 69%, particularly dropped to about 2.79 billion rand. So African Bank continues to obviously be very much uh, contributor, particularly to the group positioning. Um, also, yes, there's a challenge, particularly to some of the, the consumers. We saw um, credit impairments increasing, and um, just highlighting some of their customers are finding it hard, um, particularly during these trying times in this macroeconomic dynamic. Um, however, overall, um, the group uh, continues to obviously soar on. We spoke all of, earlier on in terms of some of the acquisitions that they'll be making. So the group said that the acquisition, particularly pertaining to Gregorod Bank, particularly to the de development of its capability services in the business and SMME, and continues to be, continues to go. And but obviously they've gained the necessary approvals from some of the main shareholders, such as the Saxon Reserve Bank and the Government Employees Pension Fund. Akona, when we look at the growth, the 38% growth uh, that's been reported by African Bank, the number of loans uh, to their retail cu uh, customers is, is really what seems to have boosted uh, the revenue earned, and, and that largely comes from the interest. They, they are saying that they've given out more retail loans to the value of 14 billion rand, and that's a good 87% higher than the previous year. Is this not a risk as well, though? Because in, in many ways, they have, admittedly so, uh, relaxed their lending criteria. Yeah. yeah, correct. So if you recall back to 2020, um, African banks, um, like many other banks, in terms of their criteria to obviously lending to customers, um, had obviously put a squeeze in terms of that. Um, and as the economy opened and as people went back to their jobs, um, they started to ease particularly some of the um, credit restrictions and limitations. Um, so this obviously comes from the back of those easing of the restrictions, particularly coming to the credit criteria that they've been used. Um, like you said, um, the loan disimbursement jumped 87%, which is obviously quite high. Um, and they do expect this number to continue to, co continue to go. Um, but I think it's been the opening of those limitations um, as the economy opens um, on the back of some of the the COVID-19 lockdowns, which entered particularly some of the banks, um, which were not able to lend out their money. African Bank um, has said that they want to list in 2025. Uh, what do you believe are their prospects? Yeah, so you recall um, 
African Bank had quite a challenging year, particularly in the last five years, um, with regards to some of the credit and obviously going into curatorship. Um, you will notice um, the African Reserve Bank continues to be a shareholder. I know the African Reserve Bank has been looking for a, a number of partners that can take their equity stakes because, remember, the African Reserve Bank is a regulator particularly towards their bank. So they can't obviously hold this particular asset for too long. Um, that's why they have been looking for um, an investor that can come in to obviously take out its stakes. Um, so I think it will be dependent on uh, the African Reserve Bank finding a suitable shareholder that can take the equity that it currently holds. Um, and I think once that shareholder does come through, I think the listing prospects will look more clearer. But in the, in the short to medium term, uh, I don't think they'll list with the African Reserve Bank um, as a shareholder. All right, I guess that remains to be seen how the next couple of years, uh, you know, do pan out for them. But uh, it certainly looks like that is a target that they're quite aggressively trying to meet. On now to another company that has some good news that they would like to report. That's a Vugile uh, Property Fund. Um, tell us a bit more about this property group and, and, and who they are, what they do. Yeah, so Vugile Property Fund is a REIT that is currently listed on the JNC. Um, with a property portfolio of assets of close to 35 billion rand. Um, 44% of their business is, is currently residing in South Africa, whereas the balance, um, approximately 56%, um, is held in Spain. So they're very much, uh, very much a, a property company with very much a blueprint retail tenant. So today they came out with their half-year results um, for the end of September, um, delivering quite a strong set of half-year results, um, indicating that the portfolio continues to grow quite exponentially. Just touching in terms of some of the South African portfolio, um, some of our listeners will be pretty much familiar to some of the malls that they currently hold, um, such as Dobson's and Warner's Zoweto. Um, in Google they also have a mall there, and also some of the um, East Rand Mall in Boxwood. So these are just some of the assets in the retail portfolios, malls that they currently have in South Africa. And then they also have a portfolio, property portfolio um, in Spain, which is how to elicit substitute cost constella. Um, so they currently hold that um, particular asset, um, which has grown quite exponentially. So in terms of the, some of the numbers that came out today, um, they did indicate that the firm is raising their dividends. Um, this is obviously on the back of some of the decent net operating income, which rose by 4.2%, um, which came through quite nicely. Um, and the, the company has also seen vacancies fall to 2.3% from 26 previously. Um, which have obviously worked well for the company. It, it's quite interesting when you look at the trends um, and their best performing malls. They've got 41 malls around the country, uh, and those malls are located in, in, in different areas. Some are in the rural areas, some are in the townships, others in the CBD, others in you know the, the urban areas. But, but as you mentioned, the township and the rural malls were actually now way ahead and outperforming those in the CBD as far as being, um, you know, closer to their pre-pandemic occupancy rates. Uh, talk to us about, about those trends and, and that performance. Yeah, so the, the educated, particularly towards the rural and some of those township boards, and um, that's coming through quite nicely. Um, then indicating in terms of the benchmark um, footfall, particularly and turnover, exceeded national benchmarks. So that came through at about 98 and 112%, which is pre-pandemic um, levels. 
Um, so this came through quite nicely for the firm. And also some of the vacancy rates, um, the vacancy rates in some of their malls um, have decreased quite nicely, um, particularly with regards to some of the consumers, and for, uh, consumers particularly in the township malls um, and some of the rural malls not being affected um, by the macroeconomic climate that we currently see. But I think it also also quite pertinent also add that yes, they had a quite a good run, particularly in the half year results, but they did indicate that load shedding continues to obviously hamper operations um, at some of the malls. Um, so that was obviously quite a downfall, some of the challenges that they currently face. Um, also just highlighting that are having challenges with some of the municipalities um, in terms of the some of the properties that they currently reside in, in their malls. So yeah, good results, but also indicating some of the challenges that they are all having, particularly coming to load shedding. This speaks to two things, um, Akona. It speaks, first of all, to inflation not necessarily affecting consumers and their spend. Uh, and, and the second part is retailers still you know, demanding more space, um, you know, specifically retailers uh, around the, the, the fashion industry, um, etc. Uh, talk to us about some of those industries that are actually benefiting from this uh, economic climate. Uh, I, I believe six of the 10 retailers are branching out into 40 of, and opening out like 40 new stores in an economic climate that isn't necessarily uh, very vibrant uh, or seemingly conducive. Yeah, so some of the blue chip tenants that they have, like the likes of your Mr. Price, your shoppers and checkers, um, these particularly blue chip um, tenants um, continue to be very much needed, particularly by the consumer. So yes, the consumer is under significant stress, but what are they buying? They're buying, obviously, essential items, food, um, getting, obviously, to work by making use of fuel. Um, so they're obviously using, particularly, their money more widely and, obviously, um, reaching for more of essential items. So you'll see um, companies that do sell, like the likes of your electronics, those coming under pressure, particularly in this current environment. Um, but with regards to some of these blue chip tenants um, are very much predominantly um, consumer-driven that will be needed, particularly some of the essential items. And we saw this during COVID as well, the likes of uh, you know grocery stores, for example, uh, those were essential services for most parts, and, and those kept operating. So, um, you know, not very much affected, I guess, by the economic, uh, by the economic climate, nor by the inflation and, and the rising interest rates. If we could wrap up our business um, chat this evening and, and look at some international stories, we see Elon Musk is at it again and uh, fighting with big dogs like himself. And, and Apple now seems to be one of, of, of the latest that Elon Musk is, is having a bit of a tiff with. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so correct. So Elon Musk um, took to his recently acquired assets, Twitter, um, indicating and accusing Apple, rather, of threatening to block Twitter from its app store, um, indicating that iPhone maker has stopped advertising um, on the social media platform. Um, so the billionaire CEO of Twitter and Tesla um, indicating that Apple was um, indirectly putting pressure on Twitter over content um, moderation demands. So we know um, the likes of Apple, particularly in the first quarter of 2022, Apple was one of the top advertisers on Twitter, spending um, in excess of about $48 million, uh, which is accounting for about 4% of total revenue of Twitter. Um, so they very much did make a big spend um, during those times. 
um, but Apple obviously, particularly post the acquisition by Elon Musk, um, he has indicated that the, the big giant um, Apple has stopped or has paused advertising space, um, which is obviously following suit of not only Apple, but you've seen other um, companies um, stopping or pausing advertising on Twitter post the acquisition by Elon Musk earlier this, um, earlier this month. Yeah, so he obviously is putting these companies under pressure, um, indicating that he is losing approximately $4 million a day um, and facing um, uh, advertiser revolt, particularly by some of the big brands such as Apple, um, which is obviously worrying them, particularly at this stage. Um, so we do wait to see in terms of some of the new revenue um, streams that they obviously have put forward. And you will recall that they will be introducing a more of a monthly fee, particularly to some users um, making use of their platform and subscriptions. So that is obviously one avenue to bring in revenue, but advertising continues to be very much a big component in, in the revenue stream. Let's do this. Uh, let's take a, a bit of a breather and uh, we'll, we'll continue looking at that blue subscription service and the alternate revenue streams that Elon Musk is, is possibly contemplating, as well as the general impact that the loss or reduced advertising is likely to have on Twitter. It's 7.41 on Metro FM Talk. I'm Tamingo Beni sitting in for Ayabonga Tawe in conversation with Akona Mlamleli. It is exactly 7.44 on Metro VM Talk. A very good evening to you, wherever it is that you may be joining us from. You may be driving back home from work. You may be just at home already. Whatever it is that you're doing, thank you for choosing us this evening. I'm Tamingo Beni, sitting in for Ayabonga Tawe in conversation with Akona Mlamleli, Portfolio Manager at 27.4 Investment Managers. Akona, just before we went to the break, we were talking about the, the, the brewing standoff between Elon Musk and Apple. Uh, now, we know that Apple operates an essential gateway for, for Twitter users, and that's the Apple Store. And if Musk mm. does lose access, he will literally get cut off from more than 1.5 billion devices. So it's mm. not something that he would want. Um, it, it is not something conducive for, for business. And ad services literally generated about 90% of the revenue for Twitter last year, which is about 5.1 billion rand. So if this does get cut down, as we are seeing some of the big companies tapering down, uh, if not completely leaving the advertising spaces on, on Twitter, what recourse and mm. strategy does Elon Musk have at hand to try and mitigate this? Yeah, so I think post the announcement, post the acquisition of Twitter, um, the company did announce that it'd be rolling out um, a Twitter Blue, which allowed any user to pay about $7.99 a month um, for a verified account and other privileges. Um, so the Blue Twitter um, subscription um, currently is still not available. It was said to come into operation mid-November. However, they indicated that the rollout will take place this Friday. Um, so this is obviously one of the avenues that they're using to generate other revenue streams. Um, however, as we've seen historically, advertising continues to remain the dominant revenue, particularly for this business. So we'll see in terms of the pickup for the $7.99 a month, and if that is obviously taken up particularly by Twitter users, and to obviously see what other privileges um, that they do get um, in using Twitter. Um, so it will be interesting just to monitor that because we've seen not only large corporates and large companies um, 
take a revolt against Twitter, but we've also seen the likes of your celebrities and personalities indicating that they don't want to be associated with Twitter anymore um, due to the, particularly the content um, that obviously will be allowed. Um, if you recall, um, pre-Elon Musk days, um, our ex-US ex President Donald Trump was uh, banned from Twitter. Um, unfortunately, post the announcement and acquisition, um, he has been reinstated um, and other several accounts which were um, unfortunately banned. We'll leave it at that uh, for this evening. Akon is certainly a developing story that we'll be keeping uh, a close watch on over the next uh, few days, weeks. But anything is, is possible. And what's quite interesting is that Elon Musk, obviously, he used his own platform to lash out at, at, at Twitter. Um, I guess he has, you know, he, he can. It's yours, so why not? <laughs> Thank you so much, Akon. Okay.